Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show on the Compete Network, powered by Clue, the podcast for product marketers and compete pros looking to give their companies a competitive advantage. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and today I was joined by recurring guests and VP of Win-Loss at Clue, Ryan Sorley, to talk about all things, yep, you guessed it, Win-Loss. We also chat a little bit about Ryan's new season of his show, Blind Spots on the Compete Network as well, where he chats with CEOs, founders, and other C-suite execs about how they uncovered blind spots within their organization using win-loss analysis and the strategies they use to cover up those gaps. Awesome podcast, awesome show, and again, with Ryan, always a great conversation and tactical tips you can take and put into your own win-loss program. Last bit before we get into the conversation, we just had our Winner Circle event on the Compete Network on June 21st. So if you're listening to this now, you missed out on the event, you feel like, shoot, I wish I could have attended. Not a problem. You can check out all of the sessions on demand. Producer Ben will put the link to the community in the show notes below. So you can at least access all of the sessions that happened on demand, including Ryan's one about how you can stand up a win-loss program using a variety of AI tools. Awesome event. Thank you, everyone that showed up, and we can't wait to see you at the next one. With that all said, let's get into today's conversation with Ryan. What? This might be like your fourth, fifth time on, on the C show. It is none other than the VP of Win-Loss at Clue, Ryan Sorley, and host of the Blind Spots podcast on the Compete Network. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me again. So happy to be here. I, I love uh, every moment I get to spend with you on this show. So thanks for having me. I think this is my fourth time. Fourth time. That is officially, I think you're officially number one on the guest chart now, returning guest. It's between you, Ashley Eisinger might have a couple of appearances too. But first thing, kicking everything off, I would love for you to share with our listeners, as always, you are the expert on win-loss, three takeaways for someone that is trying to stand up win-loss right now. Right now. Okay. The first thing you need to do to be successful with win-loss is you need to go talk to your functional leadership team to find out what it is they're looking to learn through the program so that they can lean in with you. And the program that you create shares the value across the organization. So that's number one. The second is really looking at segmentation strategy. I think a lot of companies tend to want to cast a wide net out to all of the opportunities to try to collect data. You don't have to do that. If you're smart about looking at how you segment your opportunities, you can actually approach things very systematically and collect 15 to, to 20 interviews per segment to be able to get a really good understanding of what's happening. You don't have to do 100 interviews uh, in that particular segment. So that's two. And the other one is, I, I think I've tended to see people leaning into online surveys as a way to collect data. A Gartner report came out recently that talked about the challenge with surveys as you know, sometimes there's a it, misinterpretation of the question that's being asked, which leads to um, a, a response that might not be aligned to the intent of the question. There's also survey fatigue. You know, if somebody completes the survey and then they start to run out of gas because it's too long. It's the wrong people 
completing the survey because they just wanted to get the survey incentive. So we wholeheartedly believe in the value of interviews as the gold standard um, over surveys. So trying to lean in that direction as much as possible, you're going to get the story behind the reasons. You're going to get the insights that really can drive the right types of actions within your uh, your organization. So those are my three of a hundred different things to do when launching a successful win-loss program. Three of 153. I like that. I think when I what I'm hearing from you there is kind of, especially points two and three, don't boil the ocean. Like you don't need to cast a wide net and go shallow. Be specific, be intentional with what you're trying to achieve and qualitative interview and being more specific with your segmentation is going to allow you to actually surface more valuable insights. Speaking of valuable insights, you are presenting at our upcoming event on the Compete Network 2, the Winner's Circle, where you're sharing a little bit on how you can help Gen AI to build your win-loss program. You've shared this at the Compete to Win Summit. I know this is something that you're really passionate about at Clue. Where do you see the most obvious application of Gen AI when it comes to designing and launching a win-loss program? Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's just, a, just such a cool topic. And being in the research space, it's so exciting to see all these new capabilities coming out from different vendors every day. Uh, it was fun putting that presentation together. I, I kind of leaned heavily into AI in creating a character for the story and then having that character experience challenges and overcome those challenges using different AI capabilities. So I think that there's some low-hanging fruit here, right? So there, there is the ability to maybe first design your program by asking GPT-type technology questions about what makes for a strong win-loss program. So if you, if you don't have any experience, you have no relationship with a win-loss vendor, it's your first rodeo, you could just simply ask, what are the best practices associated with launching a successful B2B win-loss effort? And it will give you like 10 really solid suggestions for how to get started. And I pressure tested this. I asked the prompt and I created the prompt in different, different ways. It always came back with really interesting insight. Then you can ask, what questions should I ask within a win-loss interview? What are the benefits uh, to the head of product or head of marketing? So there's a lot of discovery you can do in researching how to structure an awesome program. That's one. The other is looking at the whole process of synthesizing data, which is which is a heavy lift traditionally within win-loss programs. So today, you know, we might interview somebody. We might use a human to transcribe that interview. We might use an editor to create summary, a summary section of that interview. Uh, we might create use an analyst to then text code that data. You can use Gen AI technology to do a lot of those things today, uh, especially the transcript piece. Transcript capabilities are becoming just as good as human transcribers. The second piece is the summarization. So with the right prompts, you can drop a interview summary transcript into a chat GPT or, or similar and actually have it organize the content into those primary summary sections that you otherwise would have had to write on your own. And then you could boil it down even further and have it call out things like themes within those summaries. So automatically, you can do a lot of the stuff to save you time that analysts do today. Um, so that's a, that's another opportunity. And there's all other things that we're playing around with right now re related to interview recruitment and outreach. 
There are tools out there like Reggie AI who can help script personalized emails to help improve your interview uh, acceptance rate. There's companies like Typeform that are using video survey technology to be able to collect data from people at scale without actually having to schedule an interview, but it's better than an online survey because you're actually getting them to talk and you're recording what they're sharing. So that's some of the low-hanging fruit, but there's there's much more out there that that we're playing around with to analyze the data across interviews, come up with research deliverables that are impactful, that drive change. Um, so it's an exciting time for sure. What's been the biggest surprise or aha moment as you've been kind of diving into how Gen AI can improve, um, even change shape how how businesses could conduct win loss in the future? I think it's it's less about the uh, workflow. Uh, it's in, in general like capability description. It's more about how advanced uh, the actual output has become. So. Over the years, we played around with many automated transcript tools. Using Gen AI today, those transcript tools have increased uh, in accuracy exponentially um, over the last six months. Like that's a big surprise. Uh, being able to summarize that data into a set of key findings that are kind of similar to what we do as humans, super big surprise. So it's those tools have always been around like summarization capabilities and transcript capabilities. It's about like how they've up, up to the game, how their capabilities have improved recently. That's the real shocker for me personally. Like we can actually use this stuff. It's not just a bunch of jumbled words that don't make any sense. It's actually really insightful information that's, that's coming out of these, these efforts. How, how do you see win loss program owners? kind of working with this technology, obviously with the kind of proliferation of AI, there's that fear of, is it replacing me or is it working with me? How do you see that? And how do you see current win-loss program owners working with AI? I think AI is going to give current win-loss program owners the power to run win-loss programs on their own more so than they have in the past. So in the past, win-loss programs have been cumbersome and laborious in the future in, in in the current state they become that much easier so when you look at what's going to happen i think these folks will start to leverage tools like clue to be able that's a shameless plug um but to be able to take their own win-loss interviews drop them into our platform and have our platform generate the level of analysis that they're looking for and then also tap into things like Gong, um, tap into sales calls that might be post-mortem discussions or even win discussions. So I think that um, the ability to execute is going to be easier for them, streamlined. The sources of data they'll be able to tap into and bring into their analysis is going to expand. And it's going to make for much more valuable programs. I think that there's always going to be a place for third-party win-loss analysts. There's a, a natural independence to the work that that we're doing, that they're doing to be able to get deeper intel during the interview phase of the process. But I think, yeah, it's it's just, we're, you know, we're creating this world of, of automated AI 
enable uh, solutions. And I think win-loss is squarely within that 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 target for for this type of technology. So to answer your question, your very simple question, I think the ability of the program owner is going to be much greater uh, in being supported by the technology that's being developed today. We'll be right back after a word from the Compete Network. Hi everyone, I'm Jody Geiger, Revenue Enablement Coach at Clue and host of the Winning is Women podcast on the Compete Network. On my show, we're giving a voice to female sales leaders, coaches, and enablement experts. We're spotlighting their perspectives and wisdom, their experience and their heart, their vulnerability and their power so that our wider revenue community can feel their impact like their organizations already do. So join me July 7th for the season two premiere of Winning is Women on the Compete Network. All right, back to the show. I've got another piece of content, uh, an interesting piece of research that the Clue team recently dove into. We have a research report, When the Pie Shrink, and we interviewed over 300 direct level and above revenue leaders to learn about what they're doing to hit revenue targets amid what we can all agree is a difficult market today. So I'm going to throw a couple of the win-loss findings your way and get an immediate reaction. Sound good? I'm ready. Okay, number one, 74% of revenue leaders say that win-loss is being used within their business. Reaction, super low. Super low. 100% of them should be using win-loss data uh, within their, their business. At a minimum, they should be using data generated from sales. They should be asking their sales team about wins and losses. There should be like a win wire. Uh, they should be leveraging CRM data on a regular to be able to understand what reason codes are being selected for wins and losses. So that's a shockingly low number to me, Adam. I would think that that would be 100% because it's directly aligned with um, that revenue leader's ability to understand their business and to drive the right kind of actions uh, and change to up-level their, their game. The, their understanding of the business is important. And if they don't have that data, how, how do they understand their business? So, I, I don't want to get you even more fired up here. But within that piece of data was that under half are using qualitative research. So those interviews, those win-loss interviews, uh, whereas 86% are kind they're they're looking at the quantitative side so like you mentioned sort of deal notes um looking within their crm but nearly half of those folks are not actually getting that what you mentioned at the top here this gold mine of information the gold standard via win-loss interviews as well yeah so i'm i am fired up adam you're right i'm um, sorry i i my, i kept that one to myself because i know i could get you on on this one you know i i think that the the, the question is, what do they mean? What, what do we mean by, by qualitative data and quantitative data? And I think that when you look at quantitative data, it could be surveys, it could be buyer surveys, it could be CRM data. There's a lot of different sources of that data. On the qualitative side, you have different types. You have independent win-loss interviews like we provide. You have internally generated win-loss interviews from a you know, product marketer reaching out to a, to a win or a loss. You have sales, post-mortem discussions. You have companies like Gong out there that's making, uh, making generating that qualitative content that much easier. So 
you know, I'm I'm not super surprised. Not everybody has every tool out there. Not everybody has Gong. Not everybody has budget for a win loss uh, program. Not everybody has a product marketer to go out there and conduct interviews on their own. So I think that there's there's an opportunity there uh, for sure. And I, I I think what we what we see, ironically, it's strange, but we get called by you know a company who doesn't have a win loss program who's not collecting any qualitative data. Um, and then we get called like a couple of weeks later by their main competitor. And then a couple of weeks later by, by another competitor, it just happens in a weird kind of way. I don't know why they're, they're not talking to each other. It just, it's, it's like the universe, um, telling this segment of B2B that they need to all, but, but if you do do it right, you're at an advantage over others that don't do it. And, you know, we, we see statistics from companies like Gartner and Forrester, uh, related to to the penetration of of win loss interviews within organizations, and it's still kind of low, right? And during times like this, where every deal is a battle, the budget pie, right, is smaller. Um, it, it's so important to really understand what's happening in those. Like, why are you winning? A lot of people want to know why they're losing, right? But they forget that it's called a win loss program for a reason, and they're all loss interviews. It's just that your wins are your competitors' loss. Like, wouldn't you want loss interviews about your competitor? So I, I think that that those who don't do do it, and this is not a self-serving comment, it's just an observation. But you can bet that their competitors are doing it, and that puts them as a, at a disadvantage to be able to react and respond in near real time to changes in market dynamics. So. That, that's, you're right. I'm fired up. That's all I'm going to say about that. You know what, Brian, you're ever the optimist because you you spun that one. I like that reframing is like, it's an opportunity. You see 26% aren't conducting win loss. That's an opportunity. If that's one of your competitors that aren't doing it, you're, you have an advantage to them today. Or if they're not using qualitative, you have an advantage if you take that on. So I like the spin there. I like the spin. Another statistic here. Those that are not using win loss were 86% more likely to say that their business does a poor job of understanding their competitive strategy. What are some of the best pieces of competitive intel you've seen win loss programs surface during your time? So much. Uh, so, I mean, I I have like little anecdotal stories, uh, but then larger um, larger stories about bi- bigger things that organizations have experienced. But if I was to to summarize, organizations that run a win loss program or use a clue for battle cards, they have a they have a view into what's happening in, in near real time within um, within their competitors within their competitor competitors and we will be conducting interviews and we'll find out all of these little nuggets about maybe that the competitor is testing a new product. Um, maybe they come out with a new pricing model. Maybe their sales approach has shifted. Maybe what they're saying about you and their messaging uh, of differentiation against you has shifted. So because things are so dynamic right now and so um, I don't. I don't want to use two marketing uh, marketing phrases, but just like two two crit- mission critical right now. It's so important to understand like what are all of these companies doing to shift and try to survive during during this phase. And if you don't collect that data, you're just going to get stand there and, and get punched in the face, right? Um, was it Mike Tyson, right? 
What, what was that famous? Everyone uh, has a plan until they get hit in the face, right. punched in the face. I think we're all getting punched in the face quite a lot these days, right? And I and I think that that being able to stay on top of of competitive maneuvers by collecting data from buyers who just evaluated your competitors is the best way, uh, you know, hands down to be able to stay on top of it and react and respond uh, accordingly. All right, last one for you here. Just over half of revenue leaders are quantifying what we at Clue call quantifying your competitive revenue gap. What is the value right now? Why should revenue leaders only half? Now you got me fired up, Brian. Only half have a direct line in, line of sight into how much revenue their direct competition are costing them. Why is that such an absurd number in the market we're in today? They should know, uh, ideally, all the time who they're competing with, who they're losing to, uh, especially during th these these times. When once again, there's there's less opportunity out there, and there's more competition for for each dollar. And I, I think the challenge with a lot of revenue leaders and, and product marketers and competitive intelligence folks and anybody who has to look at CRM data is they know the painful truth, which is that salespeople don't always know who they're competing with. They don't always put that data into the CRM system. It's not super reliable, even when it's put in there. So there has to be a better mechanism um, to be able to capture that competitive data, to be able to put into a Salesforce or a HubSpot, to be able to have a true view into how much you're winning and losing against key competitors. And I think what most uh, folks do is they kind of throw their hands up and they recognize that data is a problem, that they're not looking to attack right now, especially revenue leaders who just want to go, go, go and close as many deals as possible. That's the, the, the drop down, recent code drop downs and the competitive field in Salesforce is not a priority for them. Um, so I'm, I'm not totally shocked to see that number be as low it is, as it is. I would imagine it's largely because they don't trust the data in their system and, and they're off focused on um, trying to close every dollar they can, prioritizing that. That's my that's my guess. That's fair. That's fair. I think, well, it is just kind of reminds me of the conversation when we were over in Scottsdale talking with Dan Hamilton over at Salesforce is CRM data is going to be messy, but like you mentioned, you can't just throw your hands up though. Like you you need to start somewhere. You need to show what how bad it really is or what we have today to kind of drive that sense of urgency. So whoever... Whoever is owning this, whether it is the product market or the compete lead or even, or even the revenue leader, needs to at least start with, this is what we've got and this is why it matters. Um, because at the end of the day, if you're not, if you don't have a clear understanding into who's coming into deals and the actual dollar amount that is costing your business today, like we've mentioned, there every deal is tougher, every deal is being scrapped over and there's less, there's less slices of pie out there right now. I, I actually, I, I heard a story recently. I've heard, I've heard this story a couple of times and I, I, I don't know exactly who the source of the, where this originated this story, but the person, the first person that told me who's not to be named, although she has been a guest on, on this show before, worked for a company where they pulled CRM data on, on competitors, competitive revenue gap type stuff. And they found that this competitor was showing up in a lot of deals and they were like why is this company coming out of out of nowhere 
and showing up in all of these deals when they don't seem to really be on our radar all that much. We don't hear that much about them. And as they peeled back the onion on this, they actually went and talked to the sales force. Apparently that company was the first company on their competitive pick list dropdown. And people, the salespeople just defaulted to choosing them to get through to the next phase to close that deal out in, in the CRM system. So like, that's a great story. Heard it, like I said, I've heard it a couple of different times. Not sure exactly the source of that story, but it's a good illustration of like reason code data that feeds into analysis of what might be happening from a competitive perspective is flawed, right? And there has to be some effort on the sales operations and leadership side to hold the sales team a bit more accountable to making sure that the data is in there is accurate so that they can do the right things and invest in the right parts of their their business to, to be uh, more competitive against who they're really competing with. So it, it, it's just, it's an interesting data point again. And I, I thought that story might help a little bit. Yeah, help to bring it home. For sure. And again, um, for anyone that's got that problem today, the CRM data problem today, many, 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 if not every person I've spoke to has mentioned that there are some events on demand again in the compete network community. So go check those out as well, because being a topic of discussion nonstop amongst folks in compete. Ryan, before we leave here, you have not a new show, but a rebranded show on the compete network, blind spots. It. Episode one has released, I think episode two, by the time this one's out, episode two will be out. In case our listeners don't know, could you share a little bit about what's different this season than the first two of Blind Spots? Sure. So the first season of Blind Spots, we we interviewed subject matter experts that align with product marketing. So Jason Smith, the founder uh, of, of Clue, was actually our first guest. Uh, and then we had other people who were pricing uh, experts or, or different people, per persona experts, things of that nature. The the second season, we we focused on interviewing win-loss practitioners, people who we worked with uh, who run programs internally to find out a bit about their best practices and what's working and not working for them as they look to execute programs. And this third season is super exciting because... We've elevated the discussion a bit. We've found a tremendous amount of interest from uh, boards and investors and CEOs uh, as it relates to win-loss data. Uh, once again, I think it's really because of, of the, the nature of what's happening out there in the economy. Um, and we've been able to secure a lot of C-level, board-level guests to be able to talk about how win-loss intelligence is contributing to their thinking around strategy and change uh, for the companies that they either work for or that they invest in or, or boards that they sit on. So a uh, really exciting lineup of guests. We have the uh, CEO, former CEO of Demandware, um, Tom Ebling, who sold Demandware to Salesforce for $2.8 billion, which is mind-blowing. Um, we have a uh, investor from Frontier Growth uh, coming on the show here shortly. Uh, former CEO of Cloud Craze, also was a CEO of a company called Connexium. Uh, also sold a company to, to Salesforce. So those are the the level of people on season three of of Blind Spots. Super excited about it. It's incredible, and Ryan. Oh. 
I'm not just blowing you up because you're a guest on here, but you also are an incredible conversation. Again, I love that elevation of the conversation. It's not just how do I build a win-loss program. It's really kind of big picture conversations that are entertaining, educational, regardless of where you are in the org yourself as well. So if you want to tune into some very smart people, talk about a lot of a broad subject and win-loss touching on every single piece, tune into Blind Spots. Uh, I'm stoked that it's part of the Compete Network. And Ryan, I'm stoked that now you're officially the most prolific guest on the competitive enablement show. So thank you so much for joining me and we'll catch everyone next week.